Before we start the show, we're going to have a listen to What a Difference a Day Made from Jamie's album 20-something. 20-something has been re-released this year on vinyl to celebrate 20 years since its original release. Here we go. I look at you and suddenly Something in your eyes I see Soon begins bewitching me I look at you and suddenly Something in your eyes I see Soon begins bewitching me It's that old devil moon that you stole from the sky It's that old devil moon in your eyes You and your glance make this romance too hard to handle Stars in the night flame in the light can hold a candle To your razzle dazzle you got me flying high and wide On a magic carpet ride Full of butterflies inside I just wanna cry, I wanna cruise I wanna laugh like a loon It's that old devil moon in your eyes Just when I think I'm free as a dove Old devil moon deep in your eyes Blind with love I look at you and suddenly something in your eyes I see. Hello and welcome to the Jazz Podcast. My name is Rob Cope and today I'm here with Jamie Cullum. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good, Rob. How are you? I'm very good. It's lovely to talk to you. Um, we've just I've just done back-to-back interviews, and the first one was Nikki Isles, whose show will be a week before you. But to spend a couple hours of my life, literally like end <laughs> Zoom and then and then jump in with you, Jamie. This has been a wonderful morning. I feel very blessed that's, right that's now. Really great, really great company to be in. She's uh, she's just one of my favorite people. Uh, full stop. Anyway, so that's amazing. Yeah, and she puts you in such a good mood. She's always very happy, very smiley, very supportive, mm. you know. Yeah, so. And also, when, when we started this show eight years ago, I put on a trailer that Nikki was going to be one of our first 10 guests, and it's eight years later, and we've just done it. So. <laughs> You've delivered. Yeah, exactly. That was like, that's like nibbled away at me every week for the last <laughs> eight years of like, oh, man, like, Nikki, one day I've really got to get that show, sort of find um find her and interview her um but this is all about you jamie and we're going to celebrate the re-release of your album 20 something because it's on vinyl for the first time yes it's funny that because um the album was actually cut to um analog tape so there was a computer in the room but it wasn't actually really used um we worked with this amazing producer Stuart levine who was really keen on capturing it on tape, uh, Stuart Levine did loads of stuff with Minnie Ripperton and the Crusaders, uh, the Jazz Crusaders, formerly, of course. And um, it always seemed like the kind of album that should have been on vinyl, but it was right slap bang in the middle of the CD era where they were selling CDs in in Sainsbury's and Tesco's and stuff. So it was it was that era. And uh, being a long time vinyl collector, it's 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 nice to see it on vinyl. That's for sure. Although I do find it hard to revisit old stuff. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That's a really 
unusual opportunity as a musician i think to to go back and then reprint and also i guess your career's come a long way in the last 20 years so you know if you did it now maybe i don't know with the last album did you did you release that on vinyl yeah so now we're obviously back in an era where um you know vinyl is the thing to collect i mean i think a lot of people are buying vinyl not with the primary idea of listening to it maybe it's like a kind of totem of your appreciation for a for an artist but um i think just the idea of revisiting it you know any musician i think particularly jazz musicians uh you know and, and and definitely on the songwriting side you want to kind of get better every time and you want you want to improve your musicianship you want to improve your abilities as a singer as a as an instrumentalist as a songwriter as a lyricist all those things but what i learned from revisiting 20 something is whilst i feel uh humbly that i've 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 improved on on all those fronts as as you hopefully should there is something you can't recapture within the kind of the first flush of ambition and youth and being in a studio for the first time and when your career and in, in the sense of this album you know it it kind of came at a very strange time i was caught up in a very bizarre and brilliant uh trajectory that i don't think i could ever uh repeat even if, if even if i tried and the whole album is is infused with that momentum which um is, is kind of something that the universe as much decides on as, as you as a musician i think yeah right place at the right time and i don't mm, mean that absolutely <laughs> it sounds really like easy like belittling way of describing your career did not mean that at all um, no i didn't take it like that at all i think you're, you're absolutely right i think you do sometimes stand on um the coattails of the universe and you know so you, you've got to be ready to ride it of course but i think it was it was a real it was a real moment in time and i think that's what i really got from listening back to it which i hadn't listened back to it in 19 years literally i hadn't sat and listened to it when, when we were recutting it and remastering it for vinyl it was an opportunity to go all right here we go how am i going to feel about it and i i had a lot of compassion and love and joy for the 22 year old that made it you know 23 year old that made it wow I'm 44 that's... now so yeah yeah that's amazing <laughs> it's such a such a light like like it's basically the other end of your career to where mm. you are now but your voice has a a directness and an honesty which is what i thought was a big part of of your launch trajectory the first time was kind of mainstream audiences hearing jazz but hearing it in a way uh, where you know because you, you you're singing on the album and singing all the melodies like it it's i don't know it added something and it it's got your voice is already sounds really really uh like mature you know it doesn't sound like you're 23 when i listened to it not at all that was quite that was quite an interesting discussion i had with stuart levine actually because he uh the the producer because i remember he was really conscious of he said look he said your voice sounds older and timeless yet but i want to do as much as possible to make a timeless album with you but also um make sure you still if you kind of squint a bit you can go yeah the guy's still 23 right so um and he did that it was a really interesting idea because i uh i hadn't really thought about it that way he said look we're going to cut it on tape but he said we're not going to use a neumann u47 you know we were in a great studio we had a budget from the label we could have afforded the, the 20 grand mic that they have in all the posh studios the the standard kind of sinatra 
vocal microphone, the U forty seven is 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 the one, right? He actually um he actually specifically chose to use a transistor microphone called a FET forty seven, which took a little bit of the the obvious crooner out of it. And it's a small thing, but I, I love these details that only like one or two people will ever notice. They're, I think they're what make works of art. They're, you know, when you get down to the detail of exactly how the musician is vo- voicing a chord or exactly how they choose to write a chord change or th- those tiny details. And and this is this is one of them, actually. I really remember him trying out a few mics and said, no, we're going to use the U47, which is not a, an expensive, sexy mic at all. Um, I mean, it, it is nowadays, but, um, you know, back then it was the kind of one that you'd kind of use not on voices. So it was something that he really, really thought about. And in retrospect, I think it was a really good idea. Did you do you remember at the time feeling strongly one way or another about which mic that they were going to pick for you to record on? I didn't want a producer at all. Um, I kind of resisted me and um, uh, Jeff Gascoigne, who I was really the kind of linchpin of my um, musical world at that point, you know, a brilliant musician and really helped kind of guide me kind of musically without without trying to change uh, who I was. We'd started off, we did some demos and um, we didn't think we didn't want a producer, actually. Um, but Stuart was. Stuart was a producer in the old fashioned sense. He kind of made everyone in the room feel like they were the best that they could be. He made everyone in the room feel very powerful. He made a really comfortable studio environment. He made sure our headphones sounded amazing. He made sure the instruments were right. He made sure we had good food and good coffee and made sure everyone turned up. It was a, it was a really interesting learning experience. And I think about halfway through the album, I remember Jeff and I really understanding what that kind of producer did i mean jeff had worked with loads of amazing people already but in this instance he really brought a sense of um he brought a sense of power to the studio that i think those old school producers do you know he wasn't sitting in front of the computer because there wasn't one he wasn't kind of really he he, we had a great engineer as well uh, rick baconin who just again one of the greats but just made the environment brilliant and um i love I, to you know stuart levine uh is a really someone very close to my heart that's for sure so when you're in the studio or with this album specifically do you have any control over what piano you're going to record on or play on or are you just hoping that the studio has one that kind of suits you in the music well i think a lot of, i think a lot of musicians um particularly piano players who kind of are leading the record will probably choose, will often or not choose a studio based on the piano. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I'm very lucky to be at a stage where if I, if I did need a, a, a particular type of piano, I could probably kind of get it into the studio. I have a, a longstanding agreement with Yamaha that's been really, really feel very lucky, but they're very supportive of artists anyway. I think they, they obviously are a big company, but I notice how strongly they support clubs and artists. So, so they're big shout out to them, but, um, yeah, I think the piano is is really, really important. And, you know, if, if a studio has a bad piano, uh, you'll go to a different studio, I think. You yeah. know. <laughs> so do you if you have an agreement with Yamaha, do you are you a, is it a thing where you can just happily go into another studio, record on a different piano? Do they have any kind of prerequisites on how that I'm just curious because I, I have no idea. And it's out of your control. It's not like a saxophone that you can take to the gig and play the same one every time. Well, I think, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, Ross Stanley, the piano player, um, 
who is you know one of my you know major kind of just heroes that I get to stand next to and, and listen to and 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 watch play the piano just someone I think is so just so incredible you know the building blocks of what he's created behind the instrument are everything I aspire to within 20 lifetimes let alone the one that I'm in right now um but he um you know he said that he thinks it's really important to make whatever piano you're playing sound as good as it can be and I think obviously you can if you're Herbie or Keith Jarrett or or you know one of the one of the true masters it's like you turn up and the piano is exactly your specifications I think when you're a mortal like the rest of us uh I don't say immortal when you are a mortal like the rest of us uh and I don't think of uh Ross Stanley as a mortal half the time when I hear him play but you do make the piano sound as good as you can be and I played alongside Ross Stanley where he's played pianos that I thought didn't sound very good and he's made them sing so <laughs> I think it is it's an it's a, you know these this is inside baseball discussion but it's the kind of stuff that I love <laughs> yeah it's really interesting i've got loads of like tabs open on my phone things where i'm like oh, i want to talk about this oh, i want to talk about this i'll just show you this quickly because this this i just dug up while we were talking about mics this i just yeah. recorded my album on but it's a vintage Sontronic, and it's a it's a ribbon mic so the spill is crazy it picks up yeah. everything and you can't really edit with them but but it just it just, exactly what you said about the the voice and the choice of the mic is it's a it's a hard thing as a musician because I don't know much about it I'm really in the hands of the engineer to make mm. choices that kind of resonate with how I want it to sound and and but and... you have cho- you have choices don't you and I think your choice as a, as a musician and, and me as a musician, I, I'm not super technical as well, but you can go, I love the way this sounds. Like you can hear, uh, you know, I can hear, for example, the 70s Bill Evans trio records. And I go, I don't like the way this sounds. I love Bill Evans playing. I love the playing on the record, but I don't like the way this sounds. But I love the way Sunday at the Village Vanguard sounds, right? Why, why is that? And you can think, well, it's obviously the mics, same play or not the same players in that regard but um you know same uh you know different mics um it, it's all you know you, you can re- you can really tell a story of your music through the way things sound and every little decision you make has an impact and that's that's the drug right it's what keeps you coming back to you know every choice of note every every you know the choice of the strings for the bass player or the way they have their action or the symbols everything it's just a beautiful world of choices yeah it's a lovely way to put it so much choice and it is a drug it is so addictive so and you've done i mean let me even count them up here one two three four five six seven eight nine albums under your own name as a as a soloist at this point so when you go into a new album do you have a strong idea in mind a concept you just start writing like how's the process work for you um well these days i think i'm probably more I'm focused in two very different ways and I'm trying to kind of marry them up. Um, so you're kind of catching me at quite an interesting time. So I'll answer this as I'm understanding the answer myself. Um, but I started really properly studying harmony and jazz about three years ago, two, three years ago. Um, I started, uh, uh, I met Pete Churchill, obviously the great, musician and educator Nikki's married to husband. Nikki yeah, Nikki's husband yeah um many many years ago when I was um uh 19 at a workshop and um we definitely got on really well I think shared love of songs but I think everyone loves Pete and Nikki don't they I mean they're just great brilliant people um but uh we stayed in touch 
over many years um and it was kind of during the pandemic i saw my kids learning online i thought well why you know i've always wanted to get you know i'm a, I'm a self-taught musician i always play very much on instinct i've learned through everyone i've worked with but i've always wanted to get far more kind of deeper into the process so i started doing um uh lessons with pete online and i've uh during the pandemic and he gave me so much to work on that i'm like <laughs> you know it's just in terms of i'm, I'm kind of finally practicing i guess in a, in a way a lot of people would do at like music college or something like you know putting in some serious time on some very very specific things that are you know very and it's very incremental so i'm not trying to do too much in one go i'm i'm, I'm doing more of that very incremental kind of building block thing that i used to read that bill evans you know talked about or you know just all the great musicians that i love talked about and um so I, i'm doing that but i'm also in my last few years really focus on my songwriting and that is uh you know the building blocks of chords melodies and and lyrics i'm trying to give those things really equal weight and uh so that is a whole that's a whole other thing because a lot of that is is coming up with these ideas that you just have you pull out the universe and then sitting down and doing the building blocks of trying to chip away at making them into something you know you take the inspirational part your two second voice note that you like the sound of and then slowly chipping away in a more kind of blue collar way trying to make them sound trying to make them into songs so those two things are operating very much in my world right now the kind of hours of trying to trying to fully transcribe a winton kelly solo or do the do the th- do do you know pete churchill's thumbs and you know uh the the modes of the melodic minor scale and the, the all that kind of stuff and then i've got this world of trying to fit lyrics that i think actually say something aren't just about nothing um with melodies and chords that i think are are have some value in people's lives or in my own life um and so as those songs are taking shape gradually i'm starting to see an album unfold which i I, i'm going to try and record next february march i've got about 10 12 songs that i like but i'd like to get maybe five more and then whittle it down to 10 just songs is the best way i can describe it like bulletproof songs you could play at the piano uh or with a bigger band it's something that i think people love about your music is there's a there's a clarity to the way your like present things you know it sounds like i don't know how to put this but you know for instance my first album was one 46 minute long track whereas you do things that are short and and but not not like you know they've got lots of clarity and i keep saying clarity i've run out of any words to say um uh let me try again that's why we have that's why we have music (laughs) yeah exactly this is harder than i thought it would be um but um I'll i tell think, you what. i think if 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 if, if i um Save what me. i kind of understand from what you're saying is that um i think you know in jazz there's this opportunity to express yourself over a long period you know you, you're not bound by a three and a half minute kind of pop song thing whereas you know i kind of straddle this kind of slightly awkward world where i'm kind of trying to write songs that exist in the world of pop but have some of it uh influenced by uh, uh, some jazz knowledge and some and a love of jazz you know a, de- a, a deep deep love of jazz uh and things that last 46 minutes you know uh you know I, I put a lot of time into that music but also trying to kind of infuse some songwriting you know people this is something that obviously Joni Mitchell is really the master of Randy Newman is the master of 
um, uh, you know, people, people, I guess Harry Connick Jr. has really done this, has really kind of straddled, straddled this world as well. Uh, uh, that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, there's a lot of people, you know, I'd see people like Moses Sumney doing it really well now. Uh, Gregory Porter is a great example. So he's man- managing to kind of marry this slightly kind of pop world with, you know, br- obviously bringing the jazz in there as well. So, um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird one. It's, it doesn't really, it's not an obvious route to go in, but it's, if you're interested in writing songs, but you're also interested in jazz, it kind of, you kind of find yourself at this kind of crossroads and it's not always obvious where to go. That's an amazing answer to a question I didn't quite get the words out for. Thanks, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about Gran Torino? Because I I love that. I love that film. I love that song. And at the end of the film, you've got that beautiful moment where the credits roll and your voice is so striking. It's such a great moment. Realign all the stars above my head. Warning signs travel far I drink and stay on my own Oh, how I've known The battle scars and worn out beds Gentle nights and the breeze blows Whispers through Grand Torino Whistling another tired song how did the opportunity arise did somebody ring you is it like i'd love to know everything because that is a very cool and unusual opportunity to be on a clint eastwood movie absolutely well you know kyle eastwood obviously if you've you've interviewed kyle yeah we had a nice Um, chat about you yeah well that that's that's good i'm a a big fan of (laughs) big fan of kyle's and the thing is i think obviously i've I've i had encountered kyle a lot as a musician um and is a really good musician uh, alongside his producer and friend uh uh michael stevens I, I don't think he produces for him anymore but they were working a lot together and they had done a lot of stuff with clint on his films and you know i knew kyle not as a conduit to his father at all i just knew him as a as a great guy and a great musician so um knowing him i never thought that the opportunity would come up but Kyle and Michael were working on something for, for Clint, which was a film called Grace is Gone, uh, which was a John Cusack film. And Clint had weirdly come on just to work on the music. He wasn't working on the film. Um, and I helped Kyle and Michael kind of wrangle a bit of composition from Clint, some words from Carol Bayer-Sager, and some kind of arranging help and jazz help from Kyle and Michael into a song because I've I've been kind of hanging out with them and I helped them get it into a song and I made a demo. Uh, And Clint heard the demo and he loved the demo and he's like, who's this guy? And so after that, uh, I was playing at the Monterey Jazz Festival and and Clint was sitting front row at that. He saw me do my whole thing, standing on the piano, you know, my, and he, he sat there and I thought, oh my God, he hates it. And he came up to me afterwards and he, he absolutely uh, had felt the opposite. So we ended up hanging out a bit that day and um it was kind of through that that uh and through kyle and michael that i ended up working on gran torino and they had this kind of melody idea and um i kind of took that melody idea that they were working on for the score and again helped kind of put it into a song i wrote the lyrics i made it into a song basically because that was kind of my area they were working on the film scoring and um they had this ideas for the melody and i was like let's i kind of made it into a song basically um 
And that was for me the moment where I really realized I had, it was no more pissing about pretending I was a songwriter. You know, I'm a jazz musician. I occasionally write songs. It's like, I've got to write an amazing lyric. I had the script. There was no film at that point. It was just a script. I've got to write an amazing lyric and I've got to take this melody and really make it work as a song. And I'd had at that point quite a bit of experience as a songwriter and I'd developed a, a lot more confidence and I took it and, you know, I, I felt afterwards, like I, obviously I wanted him to like it, but I had a moment where I was like, okay, I think, I think this is really good. And obviously Kyle and Michael would, were there as a part of it and they really liked it and, and Clint loved it. And then we recorded it in his house. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> which is always a great memory of that. We, he has his guest house next to his house, and we recorded it there. And he wanted it recorded like in a in a nightclub. He only I did two takes of it, fully fully live, and that's how he wants it. He said, "I want it like it's recorded in a nightclub, and it's like two o'clock in the morning." And so he was sitting there, like two f- feet away, and Kyle and Michael were there, kind of recording it, and very intimate, and just the whole experience. You know, Clint is very. He's a musician. He loves music. He's a deep, deep appreciator of jazz, as you know, from his films and and his love of the music. Um, so it was an opportunity that really fell into my lap that I had to take and do as best I could. And it was a real it was a game changer for me in terms of my confidence and abilities. And, you know, it got nominated for a Golden Globe. So I went to the Golden Globes with Kyle and Michael and with Clinton. It's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I'm I'll be forever grateful to those three for, for having me come on board. There's so many cool things about that. First of all, this opportunity that almost shows you the things that you're really good at that you don't even realize your best strengths, you know, that you're in the middle of this with the key knowledge in all these areas to put it all together. And mm. and then the, the and then to record it in two takes with Clint sitting like on the end of the piano stool, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really it was really, really lucky. And you know, again, if I if I haven't if I haven't said it uh, uh clearly enough, I think, you know, the I was very much indebted as well to Kyle and Michael for for the expertise they brought to it as well in their compositional and of you know, they had some film scoring knowledge as well. So it was just a great way to do that. And it's it's so funny people said, Are you gonna work on any more film scores? It's like what the hell am I going to do after that? It's like kind of that's the first thing I did. It's like I don't really don't really know what I do after that, really. But it was it was a brilliant opportunity, a great memory, and uh, yeah, that's brilliant. I I really enjoy the idea of you at the at the Golden Globes, and if there's people there that that don't necessarily know you, and they're like, ah, oh, who are you? Who are you with? And you're like, oh, I'm this this guy, this really tall guy behind me, you know? I'm yeah, just, yeah. It was you mental. know, it's like like of all the people to go as 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 a guest of, I can't think of anyone better in the entire history of cinema than Clint Eastwood. Mm. Wow, agreed. So <laughs> let's go back to twenty something because I wanted to ask you about the experience of listening to it and remastering it and whether there was anything that you actually were thinking, you know, like George Lucas with Star Wars, he redid it digitally and he changed loads of things in hindsight of what they could do. Was there anything like that? Or did you just happily let it go into, into a vinyl master? I I am good at letting things go. Um, I'm not a big look, look up, back at things um i think if i had a different kind of uh if i had a different kind of brain i mean the thing is you've got to look at that record as something that doesn't belong to you really it belongs to the you know the really quite frankly millions of people that heard that record you know it's a it took on a kind of momentum and success that i 
again was was I don't, I don't know how I'd ever replicate that and you know people really love this record uh and people really talk about it as a kind of hadn't really heard any jazz before they didn't own a jazz record and um you know I can listen to it and go god I wish I'd voice now I know how to voice chords properly or properly you know but you know I get I'd like to it stuns me that I can have a conversation with Jacob Collier and he can, he can scat sing the entire solo I played on. I get a kick out of you. And I just think, I think that guy has more musical ability in his fingernail than I can ever imagine having. Right. But the thing is, I think you, it doesn't become about whether you voice a chord properly or whether you played a solo that sounds like X, Y, Z. It's about the intention and the, the spirit that you gave off. And I think, the spirit at that time, I was a 23 year old who was, I was in a rock band. I didn't grow up learning jazz. I grew up loving jazz. I kind of figured out roughly how to do it. I got involved with some brilliant musicians, you know, very lucky to be involved with Seb DeCrom and, and Jeff Gascoigne. Very lucky to bump into to Stuart Levine. I was hugely loving the kind of London jazz scene at the time where I was living. You know, I'd, I'd go and see people like Barry Green play and Gwilym Simcock and uh Jim Watson and just all these amazing and just go wow how are these people so good you know and um I had all this energy and a kind of a slight uh, uh, and uh, you know I remember seeing Soweto Kinch just thinking oh my god he's absolutely you know what he was doing blew my mind you know um and I had all this excitement and love of jazz and um and a, a kind of laissez-faire attitude about it. Also this slightly kind of punky kind of just let's, let's just change. Let's, let's do exactly what I want to do. And that's why I hear on the record. And that is the thing that you can't, I couldn't do that now as a 44 year old, you know, with two kids and all these other songs under my belt and a, a different attitude to the craft. I think that's what I hear. And that's why I wouldn't change it. Um, that, Cause why, why would, why would you? It's, 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 um, it it is what it is, and I, I listen back and I hear that twenty three year old. You know, I'm a different person now, but that is still part of me, and I I kind of love that. It's 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 a beautiful thing, and I, I wonder if the maturity to feel that way comes from doing from being um, a musician. I don't really know how to put my finger on it, but but you're so right that it belongs to the people now. It's released, you know, and people have heard it and they've got their own emotional attachments to it it's why people get so upset about the star wars being changed mm, well, it, it seems like an incredibly uh it can seem like a quite a portentous thing to say that it it doesn't but you do you do kind of give it you do have to give it away not because you think it's this great kind of totemic thing that changed culture but you do give it away because actually as a musician as a creative person you move on you have to move on um you know otherwise i would have made the same album again you know they desperately wanted me to make 20 something volume two and i said no i'm not having any horns on my next record uh it's going to be loads of fender road it's going to be all my songs and they were like no god don't do that you know they wanted me to do the repeat like right. like people do and um i didn't do that and i think that is the thing that has kept me so excited by playing music i don't feel bored by my career or the music that I do in any way, because I've just, I've just kept doing, following my own nose. Um, you know, 20 something, no one, no one at the label expected it to be as successful. It was, they, they, they knew they had something, but it, no one expected what it was going to do. Even with Nora Jones at that point doing what she was doing, it didn't sound like that. You know, it was acoustic in places, but you know, Radiohead covers and, you know, 
Pharrell's fronting alongside, uh, you know, standards and, uh, you know, original kind of pop songs. It was a, it was a very weird kind of, kind of thing. And in retrospect. Yeah. It's also a lot of those things like Radiohead covers are really trendy now and everyone's doing it, but I don't think 20 years ago, it was, it was such a, such an obvious Wait, thing, you know? I, I think, you know, I, I remember going to see Ian Shaw, uh Ian is a, is a friend and someone I've admired for a long time you know he was definitely someone him and um uh, be the show after you by the way there's oh well, there you go well I mean little you know, co- he, coincidence someone really kind of messing with the uh messing with the you know the canon you know not just a, you know you know people always throw in a Tom Waits and a Joni Mitchell song but you know Ian was always kind of messing with that and I, I you know I, I remember thinking that that was that was that was cool you know the bad plus doing apex twin you know people people were out there doing it brad meldow throwing in paranoid android uh you know glass glasper throwing in um uh you know jay diller and uh you know radiohead cover i think there was there was a kind of movement there was a movement definitely and i was kind of right you know weirdly kind of it would never have occurred to me not to cover those songs basically because i was enthralled by all the other music anyway it's like why not make your life more interesting yeah because i don't know i mean i was a kid in the 90s but i don't think in the 90s in jazz there was so much acknowledging what was going on in the pop scene and bringing it in like and i think you were you were like right there when that was going on doing it which is really awesome thing because you can't do it now it's done well i remember when they when they said yeah that's a good point actually it's it's so part of the thing now but i remember when i was asked to be on radio one because i've been nominated for brit on joe wiley's uh, live lounge and uh um they said you need to do a contemporary cover and they were like we'll give you a list of contemporary songs in case you don't know any and i was like oh i'll tell you what i'd, I'd love to do that song by pharrell front and it's got this amazing kind of middle section and there were they thought it was i think everyone thought it was going to be like a novelty thing um like oh that'll be hilarious and actually kind of i approached it with the kind of love you know i i loved the neptunes i thought the neptunes were one of the most exciting people out there musically jazz and beyond you know i always thought they were amazing so um again it's all about intention isn't it if you kind of go go in with a with a sense that you're going to do something with your your heart your soul and your head then and that's what i love about jazz music you need you need all those things to make it work um and that is the beautiful thing about it Jamie, I couldn't agree more. It is all about intention. You've you've said it all, sir. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the Jazz Podcast. It's been so lovely to sit and chat. I've loved every second. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing as well, um, getting these interviews with with brilliant people from the whole um, you know spectrum of, of this music and big, bigger names and lesser known names. Um, you know, it, just because people aren't well known doesn't mean... Uh, the amount of time that you need to put in to be to to be able to play this music whether you're known or not is you know i just have such admiration for anyone who can play this music because i'm like i know how long you've sat there <laughs> yeah playing this stuff for hours and hours and annoying the hell out of everyone around you and probably stuff probably get probably about a ton of people leaving you because they cannot bear to hear donna lee one more time or or <laughs> <laughs> or the break from seven steps to heaven or whatever, whatever it is you're learning or uh, the chick career solo you're trying to finish. Um, so um, respect to you and to anyone who tries to play this music, right? 
Oh, thank you so much. And you're right. It's fun. It's a deliberate lifestyle choice on my part to have like, mm. you know, shows with Sonny Rollins and Kyle Eastwood and shows with you and then, and then shows with my friends, shows with people who are at the start of their career or, you, you know, it's all part of the fun. And, but like you, you approach everyone with the same like love and respect um, because that's the fun of it. It works both ways, you know, kind of not doing anything special to the episodes with the most famous guests in the same way I don't with the with the people who are still emerging in their career. Um, yeah, definitely. I hear you. Great. Well, thank you so much and um, keep doing it. I'll see you later. Sick. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, Rob. See you later. Goodbye. I could have danced all night. I could have danced all night. Have back for more. I could have spread my wings and done a, a thousand things I never, ever done.